And uh, if you didn't bring one, it's okay. We're going to put the scriptures up on the screens. I want to uh, finalize this journey that we've been on for the last three weeks entitled Free Your Mind. Boy, there have been days that I needed my mind to be freed. How about you? There are days like I was talking a few minutes ago when it seemed as though that my mind was just clouded with the things of this world and I could not get free of some of the thoughts that did not need to be there. I'm glad to know today that we have the authority and the ability through Christ Jesus to pull down strongholds and destroy them in his name, amen, so that we can be free people. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. We've read this passage every week for the last three weeks. I want to read it to you one more time. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity that you've blessed me with today to represent this word to your people today. And as I always do, Lord, I ask you to help me to step out of the way and to speak appropriately today and let my words be effective. And Lord, I take great uh, promise in your word that says that when you send your word forth, that it will accomplish everything that you intend for it to do. And so I walk in that and I have faith in that belief today. So I pray that you will anoint me, help me to use words that are easily understood and allow these people to hear beyond the words of a man and somehow grasp in their spirit, man, what it is that you're trying to say to them today. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Now let me in advance thank you, Lord, for the breakthrough that is going to come in the lives of individuals that are in here today. Though they have been down and though they've been discouraged and frustrated and disappointed and depressed, Lord, all of that is about to change when it gets in their mind that you are able to help them free their mind and pull down strongholds that have existed there. I ask you to do this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Bill, if you could give me a little bit of monitor up here this morning, I would appreciate it. As I've already said, the last three weeks, we've taken an insightful journey into this idea that we can obtain and maintain a free mind. Our mind does not have to be held captive to the things of this world and to the enemy of our souls. And so today we're going to wrap up this series and we're going to talk, talk about what it means to actually destroy a stronghold. Sometimes we just like to play pity pat with our strongholds and we become satisfied with where we are and we refuse to completely destroy things that serve as strongholds in our mind. Just back me down just a little tad now, if you will, and I'll be okay. And, but, but just knowing what the stronghold is and being able to identify it is not good enough. 
I've really been teaching you over the last several months that we have to know what we're up against, but we also have to understand it. And we have to have wisdom, which is spiritual anointing, to be able to fight against it and to be able to accomplish what God wants us to do. So we need knowledge, we need understanding, and we need wisdom. So today, I want to establish this message with the following thought. This is our foundation for the day. And it is simply this. Based on Hebrews 2, the devil is a foe. That has been defeated, disarmed, and disabled. I want to say it again. It wouldn't hurt you to memorize this this week. And when the enemy comes against you, for you to put this back in his face. Based on Hebrews 2, the devil is a foe that has been defeated and disarmed and disabled. Now, how am I able to establish that? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 says this. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy. Say destroy. The one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver, say deliver, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, which we are. Amen. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, what the scripture is saying here is that Jesus had to lay down his divinity so that he could come to this earth and live in the same manner that you and I are currently living. And he came and he did that. And in so doing, he destroyed the grip and the hold of the enemy, the devil, by overcoming him on the cross the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his body. I'm glad to know today that the same power that Jesus Christ operated in is the same power that you and I have today. You say, well, I don't know. I don't feel very strong. I don't feel very capable. I don't feel like I can really do that. Uh, Listen, you don't have to do it by yourself. He is on your side. In that passage of scripture that I just read to you, twice it says that Jesus helps us. It says he's not helping the angels. The angels don't need any help. The angels cannot experience what we've experienced. They can't sing the precious song of salvation because they were never uh, saved and it was the blood of Christ was not appropriated on their behalf. But for us... The humanity of this world, uh, he died for us and he is helping us. He's not helping the angels, he is helping us. So what is our role in destroying the strongholds of our minds? Well, there are two things I want to go over with you this morning. And the first is this. 
we have to learn how to acknowledge your divine partnership with Christ. Now, some of you just need to realize that you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Jesus Christ loves you. He is with you. His spirit is in you. His mind is available to you. And you don't have to do what you do by yourself. Jesus is on your side. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with me. So no matter what I'm facing and no matter what I'm up against, I realize that Jesus is with me. Now, we still walk in this flesh. I still have a body. You still have a body. We're still subject to the natural laws of this earth. We're still living in a fallen world. But the scripture tells us that though we walk in the flesh, we are not fighting our spiritual warfare in the flesh. We don't use fleshly tools. We don't use fleshly power. Instead, Jesus gives us the power and the authority that we need through his name to be overcomers. So we must still walk in the flesh, but we no longer war or wield fleshly weapons. Aren't you glad for that? Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, every day that I get up, every day that I live, I dress myself spiritually using the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Now, that's not something physical that you put on. It's not a set of clothes or an outfit that you get out of your closet and you put on your body. This is not a physical thing that he is suggesting. It is spiritual in nature. When Jonathan was a little boy, we went through a period of time where we, we were trying to teach him things about the kingdom on a different level and a little differently. And so one, one year for Christmas, we saw at the Bible bookstore these plastic armor sets that are, are, you know, the shield of faith and the helmet and all that kind of stuff. And we bought the whole thing at Christmas time. You know, he unwrapped it and we put them on. He looked like a cute little warrior walk, walking around and, and, and Merry Christmas. Hey, you know, and had his helmet on and his breastplate of righteousness and his shield and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and he played with that for a long time, but it, it, not a long time because he grew pretty rapidly and he had to, you know, eventually move on to other, other things. But he liked that so much. And it made me proud when, when here was this little boy who was learning about what it means to walk and war in the Spirit of God. Now listen, what Paul is saying here is, is that if you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to be willing every day that you live to get up and say, today before I face any foe, I'm going to make sure that I'm spiritually ready to face it by putting on the armor of God. I'm going to be ready to do warfare in the spirit. It may not look like it. I'm not going to walk around with a set of armor on me, but I'm telling you I am ready to do battle in the spirit by equipping myself with the armor that God has given me. Paul went on to talk about Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I want you to notice what's going on here. Paul is saying when I wake up in the morning, I am putting on godly divinity. I am equipping myself with divine tools. But when Jesus came, he had the whole package when he came. He was God, but he laid down his divinity so that he could show you that you are able to overcome using the spiritual gifts that he has provided you. So our gifts, our weapons, first of all, are spiritual. They are not of the flesh. If you don't hear anything else to, I, I say today, hear this. You can never win this battle on your own. There's not a chance in this world that you can de- defeat the devil and the enemy in your own strength and in your own power. You might as well give up on that right now. But don't you ever give up until you finally realize that there's nothing that I can face where I will not have the power of God and the tools of God and the weapons of God that I can use to face anything in this world. It is spiritual. Look at your neighbor and say, you're spiritual. Did you know that? We have this idea that we're only spiritual when we're in church. We have this idea that we can become these holy individuals when we walk into the house of God and we're holy. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're struggling all week long, but when we come into the house of God, man, we've got ourselves ready. We look the part. We feel the part. We know how to sing the songs. We know how to do all the religious stuff. But let me tell you something. Your victory is not going to come through some religious activity that you involve yourself in because when you walk out of this this house, you need to understand that you are not putting down your spirituality because you are not spiritual in one sense and secular in another. Paul is saying you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Amen. So on Monday morning at 6 a.m. when the kids are crying and trying your last patience, you can say, I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me that will help me overcome what I face today. You're spiritual. Secondly, the weapons of God are strong. He says that through him we have the divine power to destroy. We have divine power to destroy. I thought about a couple of people in the scripture that kind of took this to the nth degree. I was thinking about David. Now we all know who King David is. He was just a young boy. He was just a shepherd boy. And God found him where he was and raised him up to be the king of Israel. We've heard about David. We've heard him preached about and taught about. And we pretty well know the exploits of his life. One of the famous stories that we know about is when David went against Goliath. And you know the story. His father said to David, he said, I want you to go down to the battlefield and I want you to find out what's going on down there and take these supplies to your brothers. And when he arrived down there, 
he discovered this ugly dude named Goliath and he was just shooting his mouth off and he was telling everyone about how that he was going to destroy Israel. What he had done is he created a stronghold of fear. Everyone was afraid of Goliath. He had never been defeated. He had always overcome. He was a mean warrior and everyone knew that. In fact, Israel's top warriors would not go in the battle against him because they were afraid that the results would, uh, that, that would bring death to them. And so they just stood around hoping that God would deliver them. You know, I, that, it just dawned on me that there are a lot of people that you're just standing around waiting for God to do something. When all the time God is saying to you, if you'll release me by being obedient to my word and doing what my word declares for you to do, then it will break that stronghold in your life. Everybody's just standing around waiting for, for God to do something and take Goliath out. And little David comes over and he says, who is this dude? He said, he shouldn't be talking to Israel that way. He shouldn't be talking down our God. He shouldn't be talking down Israel. He shouldn't be doing that. And he said, I'll go out and face him. You know the story. They said, oh, you're too little. You're too small. You're not equipped properly. You don't have the ability to come against a warrior like Goliath. You can't do it. And David said, no, I'll go. If you'll just give me the opportunity to go, God will equip me to take him out today. They said, well, if you're going to go, you need to take Saul's armor. And they put Saul's armor on his body. And he clunked around in it for a little while until eventually he said, I, can't, I cannot fight with something that has not been proven to me. And he took off the armor of Saul and on his way down to greet Goliath, he reached down in the creek, he took his slingshot and picked a handful of stones up and he went out to Goliath. Now here's the key. See, David already knew that victory was his. David knew because we see in Scripture that he called Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, by identifying him as being uncircumcised, he knew that God was not on his side. He knew that he was not in covenant with the God of Israel. And he knew that the promise of God was with him because he was in covenant and Israel was in covenant with God. And so when he walked out there, the, the gifts and the tools and the weapons did not matter. He could have taken a machete. He could have taken a machine gun if they'd have had him in those days. He could have taken a Glock 9 millimeter if they'd have had him in those days. But the, 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 the tools, the weapons did not matter. So he took those little stones and he went forth and he said, and, and, and Goliath said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds today. And old, old David, he said, listen, you uncircumcised Philistine. He said, I know that you think you're all that and that you're tough and that you can do all things, but I've already recognized who you are and who you ain't. And one thing that you ain't is in covenant with God Almighty. So today it's not going to be like you said it would be. It's going to be what I declare it to be. And this day I'm going to feed your bird, your carcass to the birds in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And that's exactly what happened. 
He took those little stones and put them in his slingshot and twirled it around and one stone in the hand of Almighty God was more than enough to break the stronghold over Israel. Let me tell you, some of you are looking for some big fancy uh, minister or prophet to call you at home and say, hey, by the way, this is so-and-so and I have a word from the Lord to you for you today. Listen, it ain't going to happen. They don't even know who you are. Where you're going to get your word from the Lord is from this book right here. When you spend time in it and declare, God, if you'll make your word come alive to me, I don't have to have a word from somebody else. It doesn't have to come from some other nation or some other individual. Right here in my quiet time with you, I can hear the word of the Lord. And he destroyed the stronghold. There's another man in the Old Testament by the name of Gideon. And I want you to see that not only did he defeat the Midianites, but he did everything that God told him he would do in the way that he do it. And he would do it. Gideon was a nobody. He was just, he was just a nobody from nowhere land. But God spoke to him one day and he said, I'm going to raise you up. And you're going to destroy the stronghold of the enemy. And you're going to set my people free. You're going to set Israel free. Gideon had this conversation with God and ultimately was convinced that he would be able to do what God said that he can do. And you know the story. Gideon called the, 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 the armies together and he said, God has told us to fight this battle. How many of you'd like to go with us? The Bible says that 32,000 soldiers came and rallied around Gideon. Man, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if next week God sent 32,000 people in here to help us do what God had called us to do? And yet God said, he said, no. He said, that's too many. He said, you're going to have to get, a, get rid of a few of those. He said, so I want you to stand in front of them and say, if you're afraid, if you're fearful, then I want you to go ahead and leave. You know how many left? 22,000 soldiers, warriors left and went home because they were afraid of the Midianites. So now instead of 32,000, he's got 10,000 people. And God said, you know, I've been thinking about it. You still have too many. He said, so here's what I want you to let them do. I want you to send them down to the river and I want them to drink water from the river. And those that kneel down and, 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 and drink water as opposed to those who scoop up like a dog and lap it like a dog. He said, I want you to separate them. And you know how many went home on that day? 9,000. 700 warriors went home leaving Gideon with 300 of the warriors and there they are and then God says now here's how I want you to fight the battle I'm not going to give you a nuclear bomb. I'm not going to give you a gun. I'm not going to give you swords. I'm not going to give you anything that makes any sense to the natural mind whatsoever. Because if there's any way for you to take credit for it, your flesh will rise up and want you to take credit. No, this battle is going to be won in a way that is contrary to the way of the world. He said, I want you to take a lantern and I want you to take a trumpet 
and I want you to take something to light the lantern with. And when I say go, I want you to come down out of the hills and I want you to blow the trumpet and light the lantern and just simply walk into the midst of the enemy. And the Bible says that God did something supernatural that day in the eyes of the Midianites. And when they looked and they heard the trumpet sounding and they saw the lanterns burning, they thought a huge army was coming to destroy them when in reality it was just 300 spirit-filled men of God who was being obedient to the word of God. And then when they walked into the midst of the enemy, they ran like little babies. Gideon could have just said, you know, that, that was pretty cool. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to write that down so I can tell my grandson about that, my granddaughter about that. But he wasn't done yet because the scripture tells us, and I'd never noticed it until I was preparing for this sermon series. But the Bible says he didn't stand around and gloat and talk about how nice the battle was and and how powerful God was. But the scripture says he went and he pulled down the stronghold of Peniel. Peniel was the place where the Midianites went so that they could be safe. It was their fortress, if you will, that they could run into and believe that they were safe there. But Gideon made a decision. I'm not just going to beat you. I'm going to destroy you. In the name of the Lord God of Israel, we're going to go and tear down and pull down the stronghold of Peniel so that this cannot happen again. Let me tell you, some of you have fought the same battle time after time after time after time. You fought it two years ago. You fought it two months ago. You fought it two hours ago. Let me tell you that it's time for you to go the extra mile and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how you'll provide. I don't know what kind of resources that it's going to take. But by your help and with your strength, I have fought this battle for the last time. I have the power in Jesus' name to completely obliterate and destroy that stronghold in my life. Some of you need to draw it. And you need to fight it for the last time by pulling it down. Listen, my spiritual weapons may be laughed at by the world and scorned by the world, but they are feared by demonic powers. Think about that for a minute. My spiritual weapons may be laughed at and scorned by the world, but they are feared by demonic powers. That's exactly what Goliath did. He was laughing at David. He said, they sent you out here, you little peepsqueak. You, you came out here to fight me. Who do you think you are? And David showed him exactly who he was in the power of God and operated in the anointing that God gave him. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to acknowledge that we are in divine partnership with God. Then the second thing that we have to do is we have to activate your destructive powers. So I don't know, Pastor, that doesn't sound very, very Christian to me to be destroying things. Listen, you, you, you've got to have discernment and understand what things are from God's hands and some things that are from the enemy's hands. And if God is using something in your life to bring maturity in you, then you need to be careful about fighting against what God is doing. 
But if it's coming from the enemy's hands, there should be no debate whatsoever. You should not only take him down, but you should pull it down in the name of Jesus and destroy it by the power of God. So there are three ways that you can do this. And the first is this. You have to be strategically scriptural. You have to be strategically scriptural. Now, the United States has one of the most feared and effective military powers in the world. But it's not so much of a, because of our brute force, but it is because of the ability to destroy targets by using strategic attacks with pinpoint accuracy. Now, back in the days when my dad was in the military, they just put soldiers out on the ground and they went in with their machine guns and, and they fought hand to hand. And while that still happens sometimes today, it's very rare because the military has the ability to send missiles into places that we don't even know about. But they understand where the enemy's strongholds are and with a little bit of planning, they can send forth a missile that can land within inches of where they have pointed it. Now, it blows my mind to see some of the videos that they show of how that they shot a missile from a boat, a ship that is out in the ocean and went hundreds of miles and came in and struck the, the, the target with pinpoint accuracy. That's the reason why the United States military is as strong as it is. They have practiced. They know how to do it. And so they do it efficiently. And what I'm trying to say to you today is that we have to fight our spiritual battles in the same way. If we try to get into a fisticuff with the enemy, we're going to lose every time. But let me tell you, when we are strategically and scripturally prepared, when the, when the onslaught of the enemy comes against us, we can, we can lob uh, bombs of scriptural truth in, in his backyard and let him know that you're not just fighting against some spiritual dummy. If you're coming after me, you better know I know the word of God and I know it well. I know how to apply it. I know where to apply it. I know when to apply it. I know which verses to apply. So if you're going to come after me, devil, you need to be made aware right now that I'm not going to be an easy mark. I'm not going to go down swinging. I'm going to stand up and the word of God is going to proceed out of my mouth and strike you strategically where scripture will take you out of play. I want you to notice this word, arguments. In the King James Version, the, the word that is used here is imaginations. Arguments. It's not a reference to debating, fighting, or engaging in confrontational dialogue. Instead, it asks when accused by the devil, how will I defend my belief, my lifestyle, my actions, my attitudes with supporting scripture and spiritual wisdom? In other words, when the devil comes to accuse me, and he will, because the Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren, he's not ever going to take a break on you, but when he comes to accuse you, will you be able to defend yourself against his arguments? 
Or is he, are you going to allow him to put imaginations in your mind that will throw up a stronghold in your life? Things like this. You know you're not as good as you think you are. You know you've struggled with that all week. You've been struggling with it for months. You sing that song, I am who he says I am, but you're not living it. You are who I say that you are. And we begin to believe those arguments. And we begin to take on those imaginations. And we start listening to the suggestions of the enemy. And instead of listening to the report of the Lord, we are listening to the report of the enemy. But what I'm trying to suggest to you today is that if we are strategically scriptural, when the enemy comes against us and tries to tell us how weak we are, then we can fight him with scripture in the area of our weakness and the stronghold. Now listen, it's one thing to know scripture. Is anybody listening to me today? Punch your neighbor and say, wake up. He's preaching. He needs you to hear him today. Well, I don't think I've ever said that in eight years. Must have been time. We can know scripture. But if we don't have the right scripture to fight the battle that we're facing, we can quote scripture all day long and it won't do any good for us. For instance, if, if, if we're holding unforgiveness in our heart and, 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 and it's building up a stronghold in us, We can't go to the devil and say, listen, I know what the Bible says about this. Would that work? I know what the Bible has to say about that. Will that work? I know what the Bible has to say about that. Will that work? No, it won't work. What will work is when you get your face in this book and eat it like you do hominy grits on a hot summer day and get it in your spirit and say, I don't know, I may not completely understand it, but Spirit of God, you're going to raise up understanding in me so that at the right moment, at the right time, when the enemy comes against me, I'm going to be able to declare the Word of God in such a way that he will not be able to establish that stronghold in me. You see, David went up against Goliath because he knew that he was uncircumcised. If he did not have that simple fact, he might not have been able to win that battle. But because he had the word, because he knew about the covenant of God, because he knew what the covenant brought to his life, because he knew what it meant to walk in the covenant of God, then when the enemy came against him and someone who was outside of that covenant was trying to harm him, he knew that God would never let that happen. And so he said, you are an uncircumcised Philistine And today, you're going to fall by my hand uh, under the power of God. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Oh, I'm about to shout like crazy. I'm shouting on the inside because I'm looking at some people who are going to do this. They're going to say, I have fought with you, devil, about this subject too long. I have fought with you for the last time. I've tried to fight with you in my power. I've tried to fight with you with fleshly energy. But I'm calling you out today, and I'm telling you from this day, forward. I'm not going to fight you in fleshly power, but I'm going to fight you uh, with the weapons of warfare that God has given me. And I'm going to lob the truth of God's word into your path so that you cannot defeat me. We have to be strategically scriptural. 
Secondly, we have to be spiritually submitted. Now, I want you to notice that it talks about high or lofty opinions that refuse to to acknowledge the authority of God. High-mindedness. Have you ever known anybody that they just pick and choose what they want to obey? It's like, well, I know what I know what God's word says about this, but you know, well, that hasn't been confirmed in my spirit yet. You know, I I I I read that, but I really think that must have been for Aunt Maud. Because I don't I don't think I could do that. Aunt Maud would have to do that. It's like that holiness stuff, you know. I know that the Bible says that without holiness, no man shall see God. But I don't really understand holiness. It's the traditional church's fault because they taught me that holiness was a way to dress and a hairstyle. And it was not having nail polish and, 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 and jewelry on. That's what holiness. And because that's not what it is, it's the church's fault. Well, listen, put on your new understanding And start walking today in your current level of mature understanding and stop living in the past and blaming someone who may have taught you inappropriately because they weren't skilled in the Word of God either. That's good preaching. And I have this stronghold of religion. I had somebody tell me just this week, I ain't coming to church. I can stay home, be more spiritual at home than I can be at church because all them hypocrites. <laughs> I wish I had a nickel for every time somebody told me that. You know what that is? It's a high and mighty, it's a lofty opinion of themselves that makes them feel like that they're better than anybody else. But listen, the word of God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself, such as the practice and a habit of some, and especially in the last days, as you are nearing the coming of the Lord. We need one another. We sometimes, we establish these high and lofty uh, uh, mentalities and say, well, that was for Aunt Maud. That wasn't for me. We, I know a lot of people that they bring their spiritual shovels to church and they're sitting there, they're primed and they're ready so that when the word of God comes uh, and something comes that they need to pay attention to, they just take it and shovel it on over their shoulder to the person behind them and say, I'm glad they were here today because what pastor just said they really needed to hear. Listen, did you ever stop and think that maybe what pastor said is something that you need to hear that will change your life? High and lofty opinions. John Calvin said for nothing, I love this, nothing is more opposed to the spiritual wisdom of God than the wisdom of the flesh. And nothing more opposed to his grace than man's natural ability. You remember in the Old Testament when Paul was preaching? And he's preaching to Agrippa and Agrippa the king. Paul said, listen, I know you know what the prophet said. And I know that you believe what the prophet said is true. And he's talking to him. And Agrippa says, he makes this statement. He said, almost you have persuaded me to become a Christian. I've wondered in my mind how many times through the years 
that through the anointing of God and the Spirit of God that I have been able to almost convince somebody to come to Christ. To almost convince somebody to walk away from their sin. To almost convince somebody to do the things of Scripture that they know that they should be doing. But they walk out with this mentality. Boy, preacher was on fire today. He almost got to me. He almost made me change my mind. I almost went to the altar and got saved today. I almost recommitted my life. I almost got the, the call that God put upon my life years ago. I almost, I almost, I almost, let me tell you something, and I say it with all love and compassion today, but almost is not going to get you into eternity, and it's not going to get you the blessings of God. You can stand at the pearly gates and say almost until the cows come home, but only those uh, who have denied the ways of the world and accepted Christ as their personal Savior will hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now enter in to the great blessings that I have prepared for you. It's time to get past the stronghold of almost and move in to a new dimension that God has for us. Mary, in John chapter 2, goes to a wedding party and Jesus is with her. And the party starts getting dry. and They notice that the wine is gone and there's no wine. And Jesus looked at her and said, woman, and that was a respectful way to say, say what he was saying. He said, my time has not yet come. Why are you saying that to me? And then Mary turned to those who were there, the servants, and said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She didn't say, she didn't say whatever he tells you to do, think about it. She didn't say whatever he tells you to do, pray about it. She didn't say whatever he tells you to do, ask pastor about it. She said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Listen, this is a word for someone today. The Lord has been trying to get you just to take that step of faith. And every time you start to take that step, you talk yourself out of it. You think about the timing. Well, it's not the right time. It's not time for me to do that. It's not time for me to do that. It's not time for me to claim that. It's not time. Listen, don't miss your moment in Christ. If God has called you to take a step, now is the time for you to step. Whatever he tells you to do, simply do it. Isaiah 55. I'm trying to be nice today. But some of us get spiritual, spiritually too big for our britches. Did, did your mom ever say to you, you're, you're getting too big for your britches? My dad would say, I'm going to take you down a notch or two. Getting too big for your britches. I think God's saying to a few of us today, you're getting too big for your spiritual britches. Don't make me take you down a notch. You say, well, he's a good, good father. I know that because we sing that song. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Listen, 
If you're outside of the will of God and you're refusing to obey the word of God, he will whoop your britches in such a way that it will bring maturity to your life and cause you to grow up because he is not as concerned about your success as he is your humility and your heart for him. And he will take you to whatever dark place you have to go to to let his spirit bring all of that garbage out of you. Somebody Say amen today. Say, so, well, I don't know. You know, I heard it taught. And you know, I'm not sure really God knows that what I'm going through. And I, I don't really know, you know. And God, if you really knew, you know, you wouldn't require that kind of hardship from me. And if you really knew, my really? Really? Now you say, well, pastor, does anybody really ever say, oh, trust me. I've been pastoring a lot of years. I've heard a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things. And let me tell you, there have been people who can dream up and make any excuse that they can think of to to basically say, God, if you really knew what I was going through, you'd never ask me to do that. That is precisely why he's requiring it of you because he knows where you are and he knows that the only fix for your problem is spiritual in nature and requires obedience to the things of God in the kingdom. I've got to keep moving. Isaiah 55, 6 through 11, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may, so that Jesus God may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And then finally this morning, there's one other thing that you have to do. You have to be conscientiously committed. Notice what he says. We are instructed to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every obedience when your obedience is complete. What he's saying? He's saying that this is not a destination. It's a journey. Listen, as, as, as many years as I've been serving the Lord, I still wrestle against the enemy who would try to take me out. I still wrestle against temptation just like you do. I have weak moments and weak days just like you do. But I have learned how to overcome those things by capturing every thought. Say every thought. How many thoughts would every thought be? All thoughts, every thought. So every thought that comes through our noggin has to run through the filter of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, every thought. 
Pastor, I don't know, that sounds like a hard thing to do. It would be if you're trying to do it in the flesh. But when you have abandoned your fleshly approach and you've picked up the spiritual approach, let me tell you, it becomes easy because he is with us and he is on our side. We are not helpless victims or recipients of our thoughts. We can choose to stop every thought and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Thoughts of lust, thoughts of anger, thoughts of fear, thoughts of greed, bitter thoughts, evil thoughts. They are part of every thought that may be and must be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You said, do I have to? Well, nobody's going to make you. But if you don't willingly do it, and if you're not committed to it, then you'll never have victory. Remember what I told you? It was either last week or the week before. The devil cannot control your will, but he can influence it. God can control your will, but he will not control your will. You have to choose. But the power of God will enable you to choose properly. I've got to stop. I wish I could preach long enough that everybody could get it. This week I went to the doctor. I usually do once a year and they suck all the blood out of me. I don't mind telling you I hate that. They act like it's fun. This week she put the needle in and just as she was getting ready to get the blood, she dropped all the vials. I got blood coming out of me. She said, I'm going to have to go get some more vials. I said, "Uh, how, how about a cork maybe before you go? She took my blood and then she started asking me all these weird questions that doctor asked you. You feel good? I feel good. Going to the bathroom good? Yeah, I'm doing doing all right with that. She looked at me and she said, are you depressed? Kind of caught me by surprise. I'm a pastor. In fact, I told her that. I said, I'm a pastor. I preach the word of God. She said, I don't care. Are you depressed? I said, I don't think I am. I said, why are you asking? Do I look depressed? She said, no, they're just telling us to ask people. She said, because suicide is rising in the United States of America. People are taking their lives and nobody even knew that there was anything wrong with them. Just in the last couple of days, a young man who used to play for UCLA and then for the Sacramento Kings killed himself, committed suicide, had money, had ability, had fame, but it wasn't enough. She said, are you depressed? I said, I'm not depressed. I said, I'm like anybody else. I have to fight hard not to be some days, but I said, I have to stay at it. I have to keep with it. I said, I carry the burden of a lot of people. And without the Lord's help, I can't do it. 
I said, I sat beside people who just lost loved ones, who, who died and, and, and went into eternity. I sat beside people who have loved ones who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. I sat beside people who have just gone through divorce. And, and if I'm not careful, I can make their problems my problem and therefore become depressed. And she said, that's right. She said, I want to tell you something. And she said, I'm not asking you to accept it on face value. But she said, as a man of the cloth. I've still never understood exactly what that. I wear cloth every day. Every day. She said, I want you to run it through the filter of God's word. She said, there's this thing now that we're understanding about mindfulness. Where there are exercises that you can use that will bring you from another era or atmosphere or place and by exercising your mind you can come out of that place into the into the current into the prayer I said oh I said what you're talking about is what scripture talks about how that we don't use we don't use fleshly mind games that but we use the gifts of the spirit of God that helps us to pull down strongholds that exist in our mind I said that's what you're talking about I said, what you're saying is, is that when I have to deal with somebody who's going through a divorce, I can't cause that to make me think maybe I'm going to have to go through a divorce too. If I remember that somebody is going through a situation that they went through years ago and it's, it has been a stronghold in their life, I can't let that get into my mind and think that that might happen to me. I have to remember that I am blessed right now. I am blessed coming in. I am blessed going out by the power of God. I am blessed in my mind. I'm blessed in my body. I'm blessed in my life. I'm blessed in my family. But if I look at my circumstances and what I'm facing and what I'm dealing with, it's easy to get in that moment. But what God has told us and what we've learned over the last three weeks is that we don't have to stay in those places, a stronghold that that we can pull them down. We can pull them down. And my question to you is, when are you going to start that process? When will you stop letting the enemy take space in your mind when he has no right to be there. It's time for him to be evicted. It's time for him to get gone and get out in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? Ushers, come and position yourself this morning for communion. While you're coming, let me pray this morning. Father, if I have to be totally honest with you today, I get really sick and tired sometimes of having to repeat myself. 
in my own life, constantly reminding myself of what your word declares. And my flesh grows weary with that. My flesh gets weary with having to fight that battle on an ongoing basis. But I've come to realize, Lord, that it's a battle that will never end. I have to be conscientiously committed to this process that will bring freedom to my life. And Lord, as a shepherd, I look out across this congregation and knowing things that I know that only I could know because I'm a pastor and the people that are involved, Lord, I know that their only hope is in you and in your word. That victory will never materialize in their lives until they make a stand and decide I'm going to do not the, what the world expects me to do, but I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And it's going to affect every area of my life. I need for the Spirit of God to affect me spiritually. Therefore, today, I will not leave this house until I have committed my life to Jesus Christ, repented of my sins, and started walking in relationship with Him. The old-timers called it getting saved. That's what I'm going to do today. I refuse to leave before I'm saved. I refuse to leave before I've renewed my relationship with Jesus Christ. I know what it means to walk with the Lord. I am saved. I've been saved. I've walked with Him before, but I got away. I went back into the world. I went against my commitment. And I'm not leaving this house today until I've made up my mind that I'm going to be the man of God, the woman of God that He has called me to be. I will never obtain victory and joy and life and hope and healing until I'm firmly placed spiritually in the hand of God. And I refuse to live another day outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. tired with being discouraged and depressed and frustrated and, 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 and having my mind constantly in a state of feeling overwhelmed and overcome. That is not what God intends me to, how, how God intends me to, to, to walk and believe and live. And therefore, I today, before I leave this house, I'm going to turn my mind over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to let him restore unto me the joy of his salvation. I'm going to begin walking in the knowledge of the word of God that brings victory. I'm turning my finances over him today. You know, I, I, I know what the Word of God says about being generous. I know what the Word of God says about being a tither. I know what the Word of God has to say about giving to those who are in need. I know it. I just haven't come to an understanding that He expects me to do that. But I'm making up my mind today before I ask Him again to help me with my finances and to bring blessing financially into my life. I'm going to begin doing the very minimum of what God has called me to do financially. And today is the day that I'm crossing that bridge with Him today today 
today. Today. God, you didn't call me to the life that I'm living. You didn't call me to be short-sighted. You didn't call me to live in fear. You didn't call me to have a bottled up mind that is chained and overwhelmed by the spirit of darkness. In fact, your word declares you have not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And therefore, enemy, you cannot put those thoughts in my mind any longer because that is not what God would have me to think. He wants me to think with courage. And therefore, beginning today, I'm going to be a different child of God. My character will change because I'm going to be walking in the will of His Word for my life. I declare it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I would like to invite you this morning to the altar. We're going to participate in communion. I'd like for you to come and get the elements and then just stay here in the altar. We'll dismiss from here. As we begin to worship, in song will you come, thinking about all that God has done for you and all that he has prepared you for. What lies ahead may be unknown as I brave the unseen road. Go with me Every hidden sacrifice Through the watches of the night God Just go with me Through it all I know I am not
no fear in the crashing. 